The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. on this Wednesday, and here is your top five at five. Stocks may be hitting snooze, but commodities crushing it lately. Not convinced? We'll show you some of the record-breaking moves. First, gasoline, now a massive part of America's meat supply. More fallout from the latest criminal hack. Is it time to get tougher on Russia? Taking on the SEC, a new report this morning highlighting the growing tension between Elon Musk and American regulators. It's not over just yet. Why Zoom may prove the stay-at-home trade can still make you money. And AMC getting ready for what could be another wild trading day as investors and the CEO look like they are banking coin, at least on paper. It is Wednesday, June 2nd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Happy Wednesday. I am Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to it. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Now, stock futures... They are a little bit muted, and they are a little bit mixed. Kind of the same story for stocks yesterday. Dow futures up, well, all of seven points. NASDAQ down 22. Again, same as yesterday in the markets. We saw the Dow rise, and NASDAQ was slightly lower. Let us check the cryptos. A little bit more movement here and a little bit of a better day. Bitcoin and Ethereum, XRP, Litecoin, they are all up 4 5 or 6%. Ethereum looks to be the best of them, up about 7% on this Wednesday. But why don't we forget stocks and digital commodities for a moment? Because the world's hottest markets are coffee and oil. That's right. First off, coffee, if you're not paying attention, you're going to be. Coffee's at its highest level since November of 2016. It has taken off like a rocket the last couple of months. And oil at its highest since October of 2018, by the way, The XLE Energy ETF is one of the best-performing major ETFs in the world this year. All in all, filling up your tank and maybe grabbing a cup of coffee while you're at the gas station, both of those are no doubt going to be costing you a lot more coming up soon, if, by the way, they are not already. Well, the move in oil is not hurting the Asian markets, at least not Japan. Japanese DK225 up again. Saw the Chinese market down about one half or three quarters of one percent. And in Europe, we are seeing some slight gains across the board. European stocks, by the way, lately have been hotter than the major averages here in America because their COVID cases are also crashing. Vaccinations are on the rise and a lot of talk about reopening. They tend to be about two or three months sort of behind our story here and the European markets. Well, the color is green, but it should be red because they have been hot. All right. A call with China, Dogecoin, and insider trading allegations. Let's get more on this morning's top corporate headlines with Contessa Brewer. Good morning, Contessa. 
Good morning, Brian. The Treasury Department and Chinese state media confirming this morning that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and China Vice Premier Liu spoke earlier this morning for the first time since President Biden took office. That's according to the statements. On the video call, Yellen discussed the administration's plans for, and I quote here, a continued strong economic recovery and the importance of cooperating on areas that are in U.S. interests. Starting today, crypto exchange Coinbase is offering pro-users the option to trade Dogecoin, something already offered on other trading platforms like Robinhood and Gemini. The company says it plans to launch in three phases, post only, limit only, and full trading. Dogecoin is up about 8,000% for the year. Currently, it's trading, as you can see, up almost 19 percent. However, it's dropped by more than 50 percent since reaching a high in May. And the New York attorney general is asking a court to force Kodak CEO to publicly testify amid an investigation over allegations of insider trading. The petition claims that chief executive Jim Continenza bought shares of the company's stock while it was non-public or while it was in non-public talks with the Trump administration over a loan worth hundreds of millions of dollars intended for shoring up chemical production, which was then in short supply. So it looks like the attorney general would like to see some of her questions answered. Brian. Isn't that amazing that Dogecoin is up 8,000 percent in five months, but yet is down 50 percent from its high? Up 8,000% with a 50% drop. Dogecoin, Contessa. The, uh, I think that the um, Federal Reserve chairman probably had it right when he said that these cryptocurrencies, and he, these are his words, are vehicles for speculation. Because that's what you see right here. Yeah, understatement of the century. Those are vehicles for speculation. Dogecoin. Contessa, thank you. And we're going to see more with Contessa in a few minutes. Sure. But now to the macro markets and your money. And your first guest today says, if you think the run for so-called value stocks is over, you are simply not studying your market history. Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management joins us now. Ryan, why do you say that? I mean, how long can the, can the, va- the growth to value shift and the value run historically go? It can go a long time, Brian. And, you know, I was on your show last August and I was talking about energy and it was almost like a curse word last August to say, you know, look, it might be a good time to move out of some of your tech positions and move into energy. And, you know, what we've seen here is we've seen a huge move up. You're just talking about uh, oil. The XLE is up big this year um, at $68 a barrel as we're recording this right now or it's live right now. And, you know, the, the think the the thought on Wall Street right now is maybe this whole trend is transitory. You know, big tech's going to be the place to be like it was the last decade. And we're having this move up in inflation right now, uh, as the Fed says, transitory. It's not something that's going to last a long time. But if you look at a, a value cycle, uh, historically, it could last as long as 33 months. We're only six months into this. You know, it was really only in November when we first got that vaccine news that all of a sudden we start to see that big rotation out of big tech, or I call long duration assets, right? Anything where you're waiting for profits yeah. that can be priced in for, in some cases, like 100 years, if you're Tesla, um, and you're really seeing money move out of that part of the market into more cyclical, cyclical positions that benefit from really profits reaccelerating. That's what's happening right now. 
Yeah, and, and we've shown that the gap between the oil price and oil stocks is this huge gap. Usually when oil's at, you know, 68 or 70, oil stocks are somewhere up there as well. They're not, maybe because to your point, it's a dirty word, ESG, people have dumped it. But it's not just that. The valuation gap between, say, the Russell growth sector and the Russell value sector is still historically high. That's going to come down, you think, at some point? Yeah, it has to. It has to. Because, look, at the end of the day, the market's a slave to earnings. And at the end of the day, you know, money's going to find where profits are accelerating. And last year, you know, it was the perfect storm, right? We're all locked in at home. Um, If you're Peloton, you just thank the the market gods that, look, you're going to come out with a bike this year. We're going to go public um, and everyone's going to have to be locked in at home. So they're going to buy your bike like perfect storm. Right. But now we have the exact opposite. People are going outside again. You know, people are going to go on trips again. People are going on vacation. So all that money is going to flow into basically being outside, not inside. And who benefits the most from that? All the stocks that got hammered last year. And all the profits that yeah. are going to accelerate are going to be in those areas. And the other thing is, you have to think about last year. So what do we, Ryan, is, we gotta go, what do we do? Do we, do we buy oil and gas stocks here? What are we buying? What are we doing? Yes, the trend is not over. Uh, you haven't missed it. Yeah, I would, add, I would add to energy here. I'd add to financials here. I'd add to materials. Um, you know, anywhere that's cyclical, Brian, you've got to have in your portfolio. And also the dollar's weakening. You know, money's going around the world again. You just mentioned Europe. Europe's running hot. He said it should have been red this morning. Uh, I'd have money globally as well right now because next year GDP growth is going to be even faster in Europe than it is in the U.S. So you've got to be global here. You've got to be in value positions. You've got to have cyclical positions. You've got to move out of having everything in tech, which I see most portfolios are still the portfolio of the last 10 years, not the next 10 years. Uh, yeah, who to thunk it, right? To start the year, 2021, the year of oil companies and European equities. Ryan Payne, Payne Capital Management. Ryan, a pleasure. It was a good call back in August. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. All right. You're welcome. We are just getting started. And when we come back, speaking of red hot, it was red hot. Then it was ice cold. Now it's heating up again. What Zoom's results may say about the stay-at-home trade. Plus, memes executive buys, and stock sales. Shares of AMC set for just another wild day in the market. Look at that chart. And later on, back from the brink, how one major U.S. oil services company clawed back from bankruptcy and is ready to trade again. What do they see on the booming oil trade? We'll find out with the CEO of Weatherford. Dow futures up 16, and we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the day that we think you need to hear about. So let's do it. Stock number one, HP Enterprise swinging to a second quarter profit. Sales jumped 11%. That beat forecast, but maybe not as much as investors wanted. The shares are down 1.5%. Stock two is, what else? AMC, the ultimate meme stock right now. Shares up another 20% or so. Who can keep track? 
after soaring 23% yesterday. They're up 27% right now. Sources say a hedge fund called Mudrick Capital, which helped the theater chain raise $230 million, quickly sold its stake at a profit, believing the shares to be overvalued. AMC had issued 8.5 million shares to Mudrick, company's latest share sale this year, as it cashes in on the big jump of its stock as well. Look at AMC Go. And stock number three, not to be outdone, is Nucor. Let's call the steel company the hottest stock in America that's maybe not a day trader's favorite. Shares more than doubling this year. And the XME Metals and Mining ETF trading at its highest level in nearly nine years. And here's a random but interesting stat. In the past three months, Nucor shares up 80%, and that is almost double the next best performing S&P 500 company in the past 90 days. You go, hot rolled steel. All right, on deck, we're talking disruption, artificial intelligence, and changing the game on insurance with one of Europe's biggest unicorns. We are back right after this. Today's big number, 80%. That's how much more energy is used mining Bitcoin today compared to the beginning of 2020, according to research from Cambridge. Bitcoin is responsible for six-tenths of one percent of total worldwide energy consumption. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome back. Let's talk unicorns and insurance all in one because Berlin-based WeFox raising $650 million in a new funding round yesterday. That is the largest ever according to WeFox, for an insurance technology company. The new cash infusion giving WeFox a valuation of $3 billion, one of the most valuable private companies in all of the European continent. And joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is the company's co-founder and CEO, Julian Kaika. Julian, great to have you on. Congratulations on the funding round. Okay, but I want you to explain something to our audience because we talk you can't go 10 minutes on CNBC without hearing about fintech, fintech, financial technologies. You are insure tech. But what does that even mean? It's so great to be on your show. Thank you so much. Um, insure tech means there's a new big wave of disruption coming to one of the largest industries in the world. It's a $5.2 trillion industry, insurance. It still works like in the pre-internet era. Um, and now there's tech companies that are about to change insurance uh, to be a customer-centric product. And investors have understood that insurance is the next big industry to be truly disrupted by technology to make it more customer-centric. The large companies will have a very, very difficult time keeping up with new players that have a lot of capital. And I think the investment round that we have announced yesterday, it's the largest investment round for an intertech company globally, is a signal for investors wanting to join this revolution, uh, join the revolution of making insurance from a paper-based product that is very opaque, very complex for customers to a truly customer-centric product. And we're spearheading this good insurance movement. 
Okay, and one of the reasons we wanted to have you on as a private company is because, and I know you're going to say you are you and you are WeFox, you don't talk about competitors, but one of the hottest IPOs in a long time in the last few years was a company called Lemonade. That's the company our audience knows. They're trying to do the same sort of thing as WeFox. Are they competitors? Talk, talk to us about how the global, and do they have so much of a head start that it's going to be hard to take market share from them because they have been, well, the stock's been volatile, but it's been a hot story on Wall Street. We're looking at a $5.2 trillion industry. The newbies on the block were at 0.00% market share. So the ones that we're really focusing on are the big incumbents. So all of the new players um, that are uh, ready um, um, to really tackle the big players um, are together in it and because what we're bringing to insurance is customer centricity something that hasn't been in insurance for the last 150 years and this is a huge opportunity uh, for investors we're just at the very beginning Mm. but our approach uh, and there's a huge tradition of large european insurance brands making it global right there's the first kind of generation like a allianz like a axa like a zurich insurance we regard ourselves as a second generation from europe to really become dominant globally and our approach is a bit different our approach is we mm. say insurance agents human insurance agents are not dead in fact they're more alive than ever and what we do is we provide insurance agents with technology to help them consult customers in a more customer-centric way we have proven to be growing faster than any intertech peer and at a much better profitability so insurance revolution but but from europe julian as you know there's a lot of smart people in insurance they've been doing this a long time you come along and you say i'm going to change it they're probably snickering and saying we're smart. We know what we're doing. If there was a better way to do it, we would have done that already. What would you say to that? I tell you the truth. Uh, I've been looking at why is insurance the way it is. And the truth of the matter is customers are paying in money. The, cust- the insurance companies don't need to pay that money back uh, straight away. They can invest it in capital markets and make more money from the money that customers paid in that business model that is very far removed from customers is over no more capital returns and insurance customers don't accept this complexity this bad customer experience and it leaves room for new players that have technology and the customer at their core we're only at the beginning but the revolution is coming and we're spearheading Mm. that with we fox we fox 650 million dollar series c funding round three billion dollar valuation maybe making cbc's disruptor list who knows julian Tyka, thanks for joining us from berlin thank you brian it was a pleasure okay you're very welcome all right let's step outside of the world of money and business for a second for a more important story and that is the latest on the mass shooting in miami let's get more on that and some of your other top headlines with nbc's francis rivera Hi, Brian. Good morning. The men accused of killing two people outside a Miami concert are still at large nearly four days after the shooting. The Miami-Dade mayor says no resources being spared to find the assailants. There is a $130,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. President Biden is taking on the surge of new voter restrictions in Republican-controlled states. He has tasked Vice President Kamala Harris to lead the administration's efforts on voting rights and take the case to the American people. All right, how far would you go to protect your dog? 
Watch this teenager in California who went viral for fighting off the grizzly. That standoff caught on camera. You see the bear walking along that wall with her two cubs. Then the house dogs run up to them, barking up a storm. The cubs run off, and that's when the mama bear goes on the attack mode, swiping at the dogs, and then you see the dog mom. She shoves the bear, gathers her dogs inside the house, runs them back in, doesn't even skip a beat, doesn't even flinch to push that bear on the other side of the wall. That's an, I mean, first off, you know, Francis, you hear about the, the California golden bear. That is the golden bear, but yeah. that teenager, 17 years old, yep. amazing yep. bravery. That's a, that's, that's a giant bear. Also, by the way, can we give a shout out to the dogs? She has like six of them. But right? those two little, whatever they were, I mean, they weren't afraid either. They, th- no they came fear. out there. No fear. All she did, she just sprained her finger. That's it. Easy peasy. I, shoving a thousand pound beast will do that. Incredibly brave. I would have been hiding in the kitchen. Uh, want her on my side. Francis Rivera, great video there. Francis, thank Yeah, that is the golden bear. Francis, thank you very much. Wow, scary stuff there. All right. And by the way, protecting the bear cubs makes it even more. In- anyway, still ahead. First gasoline, now America's food supply chain under pressure as Russia-based hackers once again try to take control of a major company's computers. And if you have not already, a reminder, a gentle nudge, if you will, subscribe to our podcast. I'm told it's it's pretty good. Dow futures up 26, Bitcoin and Ethereum up 6 and 7%. Oil's up. We're back after this. Stocks may be facing a rather sluggish start to the summer, but a pair of commodities percolating. Why bean juice and black gold are the new themes of 2021. Is the stay-at-home trade dead? Well, don't tell Zoom. Earnings crushing it, but with a bit of a caveat. And it's Elon versus the SEC. New accusations from the government against the Tesla CEO over what else? Some of his tweets... It is Wednesday, June 2nd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back. 528 here on the East Coast on a Wednesday morning. Hope you're having a great start to your day. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money and the global markets are looking as we're just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, they are in the green Not going to make too much of it because the moves are not high. Dow futures up 28, but they are up nonetheless. NASDAQ futures are down, but their fair value is up too. So we'll call that flat to mixed, shall we? Either way, kind of a theme we've seen lately. Yesterday, the Dow was up a little bit. NASDAQ down. Investors, some of them seem to be kind of waiting to see how some of these recent growth to value trends may ultimately be shaking out. But Let us put stocks aside for a moment, shall we? Because as we've said, the hottest markets are not the major stock averages. Rather, they are coffee and oil. If you're not paying attention, you're going to be the next time you pay. Coffee at its highest price since November of 2016. Oil at its highest since October of 2018. And with that move in the commodity, it is pulled, dragged, Energy stocks along for the ride. Look at this. Year-to-date, 
Marathon, up 107%. Fang, the original Fang, Diamondback Energy, up 79%. Devon, up 90 Of course, many of these names were beaten up, left for dead, heavily shorted. But if you own them and you bought them in the last couple of months, you don't care why. All you care is you've made money on paper. The stocks have done very, very well. By the way, year to date, energy, specifically oil and gas, is the number one performing major sector. Unloved, hated, forgotten about, and yet been red hot. By the way, we're going to have the CEO of the newly newly trading on the NASDAQ, Weatherford. That CEO will join us to talk more about it in the next couple of minutes. Well, maybe your top stock story today, non-meme stock, of course, is Zoom. Zoom earnings boomed. Earnings beating estimates across the board. However, the company did warn investors that its revenue growth will only, air quotes, be 50% for the full fiscal year. I want you to note this. This could have been an RBI stat on Zoom. Zoom's sales have gone from about $60 million a year a couple of years ago to on pace to hit about $3.6 billion this year. Wow. Joining us now is Deutsche Bank senior analyst covering communications, infrastructure, and technology, Matthew Nickdom. Matthew, great to have you on the program. $60 million in sales, I think like five years ago, to on pace for about $3.5 billion today. Is, is A, any of that sustainable? And B, has that already been reflected in the stock and it's already hit its highs for the next couple of years? Hey, Brian. Well, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. And I will say, absolutely, this is sustainable. I mean, we're modeling close to $4 billion in Zoom revenue this year. And as you noted, it's about 50% year-on-year growth. I think the issue with the stock and the reason why we've got a hold rating is if you think about the growth this past quarter, close to 200% year-on-year growth, we've got them exiting the year closer to 20%, right? And so when you think about forward growth, it's probably in the mid-teens to 20%. At 21 times next year's calendar sales, it's a little bit tough to make the case for the stock with current valuations. Well, even as sales have grown, so have their cost of goods sold, gone from like 12 million five years ago to more than 800 million. They're adding people, they're adding computers, they're adding whatever. But I think what's most impressive to me on the, the balance sheet, the income statement, is they've got not, not only do they have operating income, they used to not is that it's over $670 million or thereabouts. So even with that growth in actual cash flow, you just think, Matthew, maybe the stock, you know, just kind of got ahead of itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this was the poster child for work from home, right? It's a huge, huge winner during the COVID timeframe. And absolutely, I mean, we think there's a lot of sustainability to the revenue trend. You hear about a lot of hybrid work that's going to become the new norm as we go forward. And as you alluded to, right, the ability for this company to hit $4 billion in revenue in, in terms of annualized run rate almost overnight, that's a lot of scale and there's a lot of benefits. And you think about margins, operating margins that were north of 40% this past quarter. I mean, you have companies that work towards that and it takes them longer than, de- than a decade to get there. So certainly a lot of scale that comes with um, the, the uh the growth the company has seen, I just think it's a little bit tougher at this point when you think about the prospects of decelerating growth. The company grew about 325% a year ago, 
probably going to be growing in the mid-teens to close to 20%, at least on our estimates, it becomes challenging to make the case for valuation, on, at least on our part, yeah. when they're you know, 20 times sales. And the peers are probably somewhere in the you know, mid-teens in terms of uh, EV to sales next year. Well, the bulls would make that case, Matthew, by saying, yeah, but the stock is down, you know, from 475 or 500 a share and the valuation has come down with it. It's certainly come down. And by the way, there are a lot of growth avenues Zoom is pursuing, and we commend them for that. When you think about Zoom phone, when you think about the enterprise opportunity, you know, there's a lot of avenues they can tap. The one thing I would really caution on, though, is pre-pandemic, Zoom generated about 20 percent of sales from businesses with less than 10 employees. That number is almost doubled. About 37% of sales right now come from very small businesses. We're talking sub 10 employees. And if you think about that in context, that's about a billion and a half in annualized revenues coming from very small businesses. That's the cohort that's most prone to churn. And what I mean Mm. by that is when you've got reopenings across the world, that cohort is the most prone to going back to the office, probably letting go of their Zoom subscription that they signed off for during the pandemic. And so for Zoom, it's a real challenge to grow in the areas like enterprise, like international and phone amidst some of the churn you're going to see in the next couple of quarters in that smaller cohort. Yeah. That, is an, that is an excellent point. If you've got eight employees and you're a small but fast-growing you know, marketing firm or something, you're going to need all your people in the office. Very different than a J.P. Morgan or something. Matthew Nicknam with a hold rating on Zoom. Matthew, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. By the way, Zoom CFO maybe can answer some of Matthew's questions there about growth. Kelly Steckelberg will be on Squawk Box at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. All right. Now to some of this morning's other top stories, including more than a cyber attack on the world's largest meat producer, which is jeopardizing a big part of America's food supply chain. Contessa is back with those. Contessa. Hi, Brian. Yeah, JBS says it has made significant progress dealing with the fallout of that cyber attack. It expects the vast majority of its plants to resume operations today. The White House says the company notified the administration of a ransom demand from a criminal group likely based in Russia. The cyber attack forced JBS to shut down all of its U.S. beef plants, while its meatpacking facilities also faced some disruptions. Operations in Australia and at one facility in Canada were also idled. A woman has filed a lawsuit against former Apollo Global Management CEO Leon Black, accusing him of defamation and claiming he raped and harassed her. In the suit, the woman, with whom Black admitted to having a consensual affair, says he mischaracterized their relationship and falsely accused her of trying to extort him after she initially posted her allegations in a series of tweets in March. A spokesman for Black says he denies those claims. The federal government is accusing Tesla of failing to oversee CEO Elon Musk's tweets. According to The Wall Street Journal, the SEC last year told the company Musk's use of Twitter had twice violated a court-ordered policy requiring his tweets to be pre-approved by Tesla's lawyers. The tweets in question involved Musk claiming Tesla's stock price was too high and a discussion of solar rooftop production numbers. And Brian, in just the latest example of Musk, tweeting about his company. He writes this morning that the biggest challenge facing Tesla right now is supply chain crunches, especially with chips. Was that cleared by the legal team? Jury's still out. 
Very quick question to you. Given that the majority of Americans are not on Twitter, in fact, we forget about that, that it's actually quite a small percentage. If you ran a public company, would you tweet Contessa? Well, yes, I would tweet because both you and I are adept and experienced tweeters. And I also think uh, the movers and shakers are on Twitter. And if you look at what happens when somebody like Elon Musk tweets about Dogecoin, you see the changes there. It's very influential. Uh, It's a powerful vehicle. Speaking of vehicles for speculation, you know, it's a powerful vehicle. You you just called me adept, which I think is the nicest compliment you've ever given me, and I'm never going to forget it. This will now become a (laughs) non-fungible token moment. Contessa, thank you. I like that. Brian Adept Sullivan. I like it. All right, let's move on. A few years ago, the once mighty oil services company Weatherford had hit rock bottom, filing for bankruptcy in mid-2019, restructuring, and then being delisted for the New York Stock Exchange. But now the company is trying to regain the trust of a new group of shareholders after coming out of bankruptcy. Weatherford will list its new shares on the NASDAQ today under the ticker WFRD. It's also got a new CEO. Gresh Salagram has a long background with GE Oil and Gas and other firms. He took the top job in October, and he joins us now in a first on CNBC interview. Gresh, uh, welcome, uh, and welcome back, by the way, to Weatherford, to the to the, I won't say the public markets because you were over the counter, but to the NASDAQ as well. We talked earlier a few moments ago about what a great year it's been for oil and gas, oil and gas stocks. How do you regain the trust of investors for Weatherford coming out of Chapter 11? Sure. Hey, first of all, Brian, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, this is a pivotal moment in the company's history, and we are very excited about it. You know, in terms of trust for the investors, really, it's about performance uh, in our view. And it starts with generating profitability that's sustainable through cycles and free cash flow. We know the industry has shifted, and we know there's this tremendous emphasis on returns, and that's what we are focused on. We ended 2020 with positive free cash flow. We've had five quarters of uh, double-digit uh, EBITDA margins, uh, a very good first quarter in that regard as well. So that's really what we are focused on. And I'll say this, Gresh, it's not just been Weatherford. By the way, there have been hundreds of bankruptcies, small and large, in oil and gas. I don't need to tell you that. The last mm-hmm. few years, the industry in general, without picking on any companies, has been pretty lousy stewards of capital. I mean, literally throwing money into holes in the ground in some cases, and I'm only being semi-facetious. Has the industry, Gresh, has Weatherford, have, has, has the industry figured stuff out to be better protectors of investor capital? Yeah, Brian, I think the industry has fundamentally changed. And we see that reflected in the capital plans of our customers. We see that in all of our peers. We see that within the company itself. You know, the industry typically has had a boom and bust cycle. As you know, it's a very cyclical industry. And typically at every downturn that has been in the past, a view that things will come back. And so you plan for that and you invest a lot of capital. And as we've seen over the past uh, few years, that hasn't always been the same case. What we're seeing through this cycle is very different behavior from both our customers as well as our peer group uh, within the industry. There's a tremendous emphasis 
on not spending that capital unless we really know the projects are there, unless we really know the returns are going to come through. So a lot more fiscal discipline. And I think that is something that is going to endure through the cycle. And so, you know, there's clearly more work to be done. We've seen a lot more consolidation in the ENP space. We've seen a little bit of that happening in the services space. Uh, but as that uh, takes a little bit more hold, things tend to move on. But I think the nature of discipline, the fundamental lessons have been learned, and there will be a difference in this cycle. Yeah, and where where are we, Gresh? Because to your point, oil prices go up, we drill more holes, we produce more oil, oil prices crash, companies go out of business, rinse, repeat, and start over. We are seeing this gap between oil prices and companies. I think there's a lot of non-believers still. Where do mm-hmm. we stand right now in the Permian uh, in the cycle of new capital spending, I have noticed rig counts have not gone up that much. You're right. And again, you know, we look at that as a actually a sign of the way the industry is now operating. You know, rig counts went up significantly compared to where they were uh, last year, you know, coming out of the second quarter uh, or the first half of uh, last year. Things have started to move upward, but they've started to stabilize a little bit. And we think they'll in North America remain around that level. And so our focus within the company is to really make sure that our business operations are profitable at this level of activity. We are not really counting on activity increases, uh, you know, to, to get the business in a better shape. And as we look at the international side of the business, where we have a tremendously strong uh, presence, uh, uh, over three quarters of our revenue comes from outside of the United States. Again, we see a lot of pent up demand. We see things improving steadily over the second half and going into next year. Gresh Sologram, Weatherford, WFRD, back on the NASDAQ as of today. So I guess I'll say welcome back, Gresh Sologram. Thank uh, you. And thank you very much for joining us on what has been a hot and mad- a kind of a surprise story for oil and gas this year. Best to you and your team, Gresh. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. All right, coming up, combating racial inequality. 100 years after the Tulsa massacre, the steps the Biden administration and big banks are taking to do just that. Next. Welcome back. President Biden announcing new steps by his administration to combat racial inequality. It occurred during a ceremony to mark the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre yesterday. Among those aimed at narrowing the racial wealth gap, things like a focus on expanding access to home ownership, as well as small businesses, And that push comes as big banks work to increase black representation in their employee base and their management. Frank Collins has been there now for a few days. He was there yesterday, and he joins us now live from Tulsa with more on this side of the story, trying to grow and expand wealth for everybody. Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Brian. Well, black people make up about 3% of the C-suite in financial service companies nationally, according to the latest data. And as that comes, the country's biggest banks, or what many people will call Wall Street, that's also becoming more diverse. J.P. Morgan, the biggest by market cap, with 13% of black employees overall and 5% in senior management roles. Wells Fargo reporting the highest level of senior managers following a controversy over the CEO saying there is a limited pool of black talent. We spoke with the chief human resource officer of Morgan Stanley, Mendel Crawley. He says Wall Street can do more to retain black professionals. Well, if you think about it uh, uh, as analogous to a funnel, uh, you know, we're able to bring talent in. But one of the things the industry has suffered from is the, the funnel has been leaky. And so we've got to be a heck of a lot more deliberate 
in retaining that talent. And in my personal view, uh, there's no more uh, important lever in retaining uh, talent than by giving them opportunities to grow and to stretch. Now, speaking of growing and stretching, when we looked at senior management roles in private equity, black people making up about one to two percent of managing director positions and venture capital firms, three percent of partner roles. Crawley says another obstacle for black advancement is the culture. I also think that there is this cultural piece in ensuring that when folks come to work at firms like mine, they actually feel like it is their firm. Uh, and that they can thrive and that they can bring their full selves uh, to the firm because when that happens, again, speaking in the context of black folks, um, you know, this thing called black magic can really uh, take root and, and take off and we can see folks realize uh, their full potential. And of course, Brian, in the last year, major banks, they've set a lot of goals and targets to increase black representation at all levels, including senior management. Back over to you. Frank Collin there with an important story in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Frank, we're glad you're there. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and why one indicator you've probably never heard of may be about to flash a warning light. Plus, three stock picks just for you. Bellpoint Assets, David Nelson's here with three names he loves right now. And June is Pride Month. All month long, we're spotlighting members of the CNBC family and business community. Here is CNBC's Ray Parisi. The day I came out, my parents cut me off like that, and we didn't speak for over 10 years. For a long time, I concealed the fact that I was gay because I thought it would somehow disadvantage me. But the truth is, having to conceal who you are is a giant disadvantage. Your biggest achievements in life and at work will come when you're true to yourself. And today, I'm proud to see so many companies, including this one, making diversity and inclusion a big priority. Time for today's RBI. And today we're getting random but interesting about fear in the stock market and also maybe introducing you to a new market gauge that you need to know about because, you know, you don't have enough gauges and indexes already, right? So anyway, whatever. This is the CBOE SKU index, and while the mechanics of it can be complicated, the basic idea is much more simple. Simply put, it tracks the cost of risk protection on stocks in part by looking at out-of-the-money call options. You follow that? And a number close to 100 in the index indicates almost no risk of some kind of big change or black swan event. If we go up to 150 or above it, shows greater fear in the market, maybe a better gauge in some ways than the VIX. And we bring it up because look at this. The SKU index lately has been skewing a lot higher. In fact, it's at its highest level since August of 2018. That means that many traders may be getting more nervous about a possible big sell-off in stocks. Now, normally indexes are one thing, but look at 2018 August, okay? The SKU index peaked then and guess what? Stocks did sell off. The S&P 500 dropped nearly 20%, of course, before bouncing back and resuming its uptrend, but it had a pretty good sell-off there for a bit. Does that mean this will happen again with the skew rising? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But you should get to know the skew index. Look at it alongside the VIX as well, because slightly different, but maybe important, and it's definitely on the rise a little bit lately random, but hopefully informative. 
So let's expand the conversation and maybe dig into that a little bit more and get three quick stock picks with David Nelson, Chief Strategist and Co-Chief of Investment Officer at Bell Point Asset Management. I don't want to lob all these random things at, at viewers, <laughs> David, but people I know, they talk about it. They're looking at it. Are you growing nervous at all, or do you think that that, that skew index is just wildly off base? You know, Brian, I'm always nervous. Uh, that I'm paid to worry about the market. We climb a <laughs> wall of worry, and there's always something to focus on. And to your point, you know, the tape has been relatively benign, but underneath the surface, it's been a ferocious battle. Take your pick, big versus small, growth versus value. It's all been there, and it's all been under the watchful eyes of a Federal Reserve that telling us that the inflation that we see and everything we consume from the pumps to the grocery store is just transitory. And I think in the months ahead, that's going to be a tough a tough uh, piece of rhetoric to, to buy. But macro markets aside, there are names like Viacom CBS, Applied Materials, Goldman Sachs, three names you love right now. Clearly, those, com- those companies have absolutely nothing in common. Why do you like them, David? Uh, I think it's because you moved from growth to value. If you look at applied materials, like during the dot-com bubble, companies like Microsoft were 32 times sales. Today, they were 11 times. Just because uh, cloud stocks have come from 40 to 30 times sales doesn't mean they're a bargain. Applied materials trades under a market multiple, mid-teens earnings growth. You can own technology, but you have to move down the valuation curve right now. Yeah, Goldman Sachs. I mean, is this as simple as... Interest rates will ultimately rise and global economies are booming. So let's buy Goldman. I mean, is it that it can't be? It's a, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, you, you just hit on an important point. The valuation is compelling and nine times forward. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a compelling valuation. I think for a company like Goldman, a premier product, uh, you've got the investment banking piece is working very well. And the fact that, you know, they're going to be a major player in the crypto market, uh, I don't see there's a not like not a lot not to like right now in the financial sector. The yield curve screams financials. Get involved. I don't care how you do it, even an ETF. Yeah, and then you've got. Uh, by the way, a little bit of everything is a great song by the band Dawes, D A W E S. If anybody <laughs> hasn't heard that, and I post songs on my Instagram at Brian Sullivan. Nobody cares. Finally, Viacom CBS. What are they doing right? I I think look. Paramount has one of the finest, uh, you know, publishing libraries, uh, one of the finest film libraries on the planet. We've seen the appetite for streaming assets. You and I can debate what the multiple should be, but at 10 times forward earnings, I would suggest that you're getting the streaming assets for nothing. Another Dawes line, most people don't talk about how lucky they are. We're lucky to have you, David Nelson of Bell Point Asset Management. David, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on. Amen. Thank you. Viacom, CBS, Goldman Sachs. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. By the way, if you do like music, I post songs, not every day, to at Brian Sullivan on the gram. If you care, I try to find some new music you might like. Check it out. We'll see you tomorrow. Dow Futures up. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.